want to speak to you if you want to open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter, from Luke chapter 1. And then if you would just flip one more chapter over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, Thomas uh, Jefferson, our third president, decided that he was uh, going to uh, take our, our Bible, the New Testament, apart. And so what he did was he was a fan of what is um, called deism. He would fall into that category of believing that there is a God, but that God is distant and far removed and that God has um, created the universe, he's wound it up like a clock, and then he's just left it alone, let it run on its, on its own um, ability. And so God is, God is uh, there, but he's far removed. He's not involved in actually listening to us. He can hear us, but he's not involved in interacting with us in our prayers. And he's definitely not involved in uh, supernatural activity. Uh, in the world. And so he goes through, and it's interesting, in his, what is now called the Jefferson Bible, he has uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you look at verse 7, and it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, or cloths, and laid him in a manger, and because there was no place for them in the end. And then he skips the rest of the passage all the way down through verse 20. He skips all that because that's too, that's too miraculous. So he rips that out. It's interesting. He actually takes pieces of paper, pen, and a knife, and he cuts out different pieces of paper and then glues it together. So he ends up coming up with his own text. Then he gets down to verse 21 and he picks up again. And at the end of uh, eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel and then, of course, he skips down around from the rest of these supernatural texts and he picks back up about the circumcision of Jesus and anything that is earthly. So he takes out all of the angels all of the, uh, the supernatural announcement, he doesn't want that in his, in his text. And so uh, we could come into church, and we hear this story, and the story is basically there's this young maiden named Mary, and she gives birth to Jesus, and they lay him in a manger, and we all say, oh, isn't that precious and cute, and we all go home. That kind of teaching, what he does is actually a fairy tale. It's not true. What he does is he actually skips out on the reality of Scripture. By thinking that he is so wise and cutting out the parts of the Bible that are supernatural, he actually proclaims himself to be a fool. He says this about his um, own Bible, which he uh, calls this, this is what he called it. He called it the philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth. Extracted from the account of his life and doctrines as given by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
being an abridgment of the New Testament for the use of the Indians, unembarrassed with matters of fact or faith. So he says, we're going to leave out all the, all the embarrassing parts beyond the level of their comprehension. So it says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut out these different parts of the Bible. We're going to, we're going to only leave the parts of the New Testament and of the birth of Christ that are only rational and would fit our understanding and that are not an embarrassment to us. And so if we teach the Indians uh, this story, they can readily accept it. But the nobility of Christmas, its dignity, its glory, this whole idea of the... Um, Wonder of Christmas, having that sense of, of wonder. Its nobility, its dignity, its glory comes from the fact that God is acting supernaturally in his world. That's what makes Christmas so spectacular, is that this God who is triune, this Father, this eternal Father, would send his son into the world. It is absolutely miraculous. It is absolutely supernatural. And it's absolutely true. The question is, do we believe it? Uh, Francis uh, Schaeffer, uh, in writing about the supernatural, says this. He says, if I woke up tomorrow morning and found that all that the Bible teaches concerning prayer and the Holy Spirit were removed. So he says, if I woke up tomorrow morning and everything I've read about prayer and the Holy Spirit were removed, not as a liberal would remove it by misinterpretation, but really removed. So like Jefferson, everything actually taken out, all of the supernatural things that we find in the scriptures. What difference would it make in practice from the way we are functioning today? The simple tragic fact is that in much of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the evangelical church, there would be no difference whatsoever. We function, he says, as though the supernatural were not there. So he asks us, if we were to take out all of the supernatural parts of Scripture, what difference would it really make in our life? Would we be able to really just go on and function in our life if all that we have in the Scripture is Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ was born, and uh, in a manger, we come to church, and uh, we sing some songs, we listen to a sermon. But is there anything beyond that? That's the question. Is there anything in us that goes, oh, no, 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 we cannot settle for that? Do you know how many people today or even right now walking into churches where they no longer believe in the supernatural? They don't believe in this whole idea that there's a real God, a triune God, who has sent his son into the world, not as a myth or as a legend. This is not just some, uh, this is not some fairy tale. But the truth is that Jesus Christ has come into the world in this utterly astounding and unique way. And that's what our text, if there's anything about our text as we look at Luke chapter 1 this morning, is that Christ comes into this world supernaturally. He has this 
life in himself, and because he is self-existent, he is the great I am, the one who just continues to exist, he has the power and he has the authority to introduce himself to us and to change us. There should be something in our hearts directed right in accordance with prayer that says, Lord, I know you're there, and I know you're there because you have you've changed my life. You've come into history, and this story that seems so incredible, it's not a children's story just to give to children. It's a story that feeds my soul. So daily I'm coming before your presence and I'm saying, Lord, I am so thankful that it's not just this material world that I am living in, but that there's a real God I can drop to my knees to and pray and give thanks and ask him for the different things that I need in my life, knowing that he's going to provide, knowing that he is going to answer prayers. Let me ask you a question. Are you reliant on the supernatural? If all of the supernatural things were taken out of the scripture, would it make any difference in your life? Would you be able to just go, oh, that was nice. That was a nice phase of my life. Are you at the place where you say, no, no, this is absolutely true. It has convinced me of its reality. What Jefferson and all these other people have done, that's the untruth. That's the liberal agenda. That is what is actually fooling people. It's not the actual truth that we find in the scriptures. So we turn to this text and our eyes are open. Our eyes are amazed at what we find. Because it's not every day that we hear stories about angels showing up to people. This account from beginning to end is supernatural. If somebody comes in and says, yesterday I sat down with an angel and had a conversation, there would be great reason for skepticism. And we would say to that person, okay, we would hear that person's story out. We would listen to the account. But oftentimes people who are given into those kind of stories actually strike us as a little bit nutty. And so they come in, they have this story, and they have that supernatural story. Listen, God still works. God still sends his angels as messengers even into this world right now. Uh, they guard us. They protect us. They encourage us. They are ministering spirits to us. In fact, it's quite possible that somebody in this congregation has a very real story of an encounter with an angel. The idea here, though, is that it's unique, that it's unique. This is the announcement of the unique one. This is the announcement of the Son of God, and this is absolutely supernatural. Okay, so if you look with me at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel. Now, there's only um, a couple angels that are actually mentioned in the New Testament. 
One is Gabriel. These are important angels. The other is Michael. And we uh, see Michael in the book of Jude where he is contending uh, with the evil one over the body of Moses. And he says, may the Lord rebuke you. But we don't have a lot of other names. In fact, these are the only two names that we have of specific angels. We know that there are many angels. We know that they are ministering spirits. We know that they come to give messages. But when they show up, it's important. And when they show up, it's scary. So when we talk about a demon showing up and manifesting itself, that's real scary. And there's a dark fear that comes along with that. But the Bible also teaches us to fear the Lord. There's this uh, holy reverence. And whenever one of these messengers shows up that is saturated from his presence, that has come from the glory of the Lord and has come with a message, there is awe and there is a sense of holy fear. And so there is this angel. Angels are uh, created beings, they are not eternal. Listen, there's only one eternal one, and that's the triune God. He's the only one who is eternal. And so these angels are not to be worshipped. They are not to be adored. When an angel shows up, we might be so scared, we might fall at their feet, and they would tell us, get up, don't worship me, but only worship God. They are not to be reverenced in that way. But this angel is sent with a specific mission. And there are thousands of years of history of people waiting in anticipation of the one who is going to come. And he's going to change this entire world. And so at the appointed time, at the right moment in history, all of a sudden, God breaks through. God breaks through right into history. And God sends this angel who comes from heaven from the very presence of God, and he comes with a message to this young woman. So it says he was sent from God, that is Gabriel. He's sent to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth would have been a small town, perhaps only um, hundreds of people, perhaps about 1,500. So this is not like he is sent to the city of Chicago or New York City. This is a smaller town. And there's nothing unique, there's nothing especially special about Mary. But this messenger is sent to her. In fact, she's a virgin. So she's never known a man, you see that in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed. She had a, um, a legal arrangement. She was uh, legally engaged. It was a big deal. It wasn't as easy to break off this kind of engagement in history as it is today. Somebody can just say, you know what, uh, in an engagement today I've decided um, I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> and it's very easy. You just put the ring away and, and whatever happens with that um, happens. And then people cry and then they break up and then they, and then they, and then they move on. And then that's, that's the end of the story. <laughs> and then they anticipate the next one, the right one. But this is... This is a virgin. This is a, a person, a, a woman who has never known a man. But she was pledged to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, Joseph was a little bit older than she was. And by the way, at this age, marrying age at this point, 
was young. So it's quite possible that she was uh, 14 or even 13 years old. Can you imagine? We'd have a big pro I would have a big problem with that today. A big problem, okay? There'd be a there'd be a large problem if Lydia came home and said, Hey, check out the rock. We'd have an issue. A year comes. Listen, I, I'm reading I'm reading this uh, I'm reading this um, uh, thing about Augustine, who was one of the great church fathers. And he was pledged by his godly mother to be married to this, well, woman, really young girl, uh, who was not of age to marry, not of legal age to marry, and the legal age in Rome was 12 years old. So he had to wait for a while, maybe a year or two. Just odd. But it shows the differences in culture. And so God, in his providence, and he's holy and he's righteous, He's not coming here to a 20-year-old young lady. He's not coming to a 30-year-old or even a 40-year-old, but he is coming to one who is, at best, a teenager. And so she is betrothed to Joseph, who was possibly, they were normally older, so he's probably in his 20s, of the house of David. So his line, he had descended his lineage was from David. And by the way, the scripture is very clear that the Messiah, the one who is going to rule and reign, is going to sit on David's throne. So David is a special, special king in the Old Testament. If you want to know kings of the Old Testament, you need to know three important kings. You need to know Saul, you need to know David, and you need to know David's son, Solomon. And the Bible says that not on Saul's throne, but that on David's throne, the Messiah would come and he would rule forever. And so this virgin's name was Mary. And so she's just in this town, just going about her life. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, when an angel shows up, you know it. This is not like, well, I think I saw an angel, perhaps. There, there isn't this thing where I, I got worked up in the, the, the mental images of my mind and I, I, I pictured what an angel looks like and so I'm going to go tell the story about an angel. That is not what is going on here. This is an actual angel, as real as you or I, who shows up to have a message for Mary. And he comes to her and he says in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. Now, when it says, oh, favored one, it just means that God has graced her. Listen, it does not mean that Mary was not born in sin. Mary was a sinner. And what it is saying here is, you've been picked. She was chaste. She was good in her behavior. But listen, she was not perfect. And so this idea that she was immaculately conceived, that she comes into this world without sin, listen, that is not found anywhere in the Bible. And so here she is, this wonderful young girl. She's kind and she's pure and she's holy. But the angel just comes and says, listen, you have found favor. You are grace. God has, out of all the women of history, he's picked you. He's picked you. 
And through you is going to come this, this special one. And so here is Mary, and she is one who is in need of a Savior. You say, well, how, how do we know that? Go just over here to Luke chapter 1 again, but just down the chapter uh, to verse 46. And it says, and Mary said, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now notice what it says next, what she says. And my spirit rejoices in God, my what? My Savior. It was Mary herself who expressed the need. It was Mary who said, I'm the one who needs a Savior. So here she was going to have this special son. And through her, at one point, her knee would have to bow. And she would say, not only are you my son in the flesh, but I bow my knee to you and I recognize that you are the Son of God who has come into the world not to just save other sinners, but to save me. There comes a point where Mary says, Jesus, will you save me from my sins? There is no praying to Mary. We don't pray to Mary. There is a special place in history because of uh, the, the choosing of her role to be the mother of Jesus at a special and holy but we don't revere her, we don't pray to her, we don't worship her. We respect what the Lord has done through her. And so the Lord comes to her through an angel and says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, how important is that to know? So this angel comes and says, Listen, I want you to know something. The Lord's with you. He's with you. And uh, there are people, listen, there are people in this church today right now that need to hear that. The Lord is with you. You might not be able to see him. You might not have had an angel come and tell you this and encourage your, your spirit in this direction. But you need to hear it this morning that the Lord, listen, the Lord is your rock. He is the one who's undergirding you. He's the one who's taking care of you. He's the one who's providing for you. He's your provider. You say, Lord, I need something. The Lord comes and he says, I'm going to provide for you. You say, Lord, I'm lonely. He comes. He is your friend. Everything that you need, listen, everything that you need, the Lord is there for you. He is with you. And so this, this angel comes and the angel doesn't say, hey, look, I'm with you. The angel comes and says, I have a message. Not me. It's not about me. It's about God. And I want to let you know, Mary, First of all, because you're going to be really freaked out right now that I'm even here. I've never introduced myself before, but I'm Gabriel, and I have a message for you. And the message for you today, first of all, before we get any further, is the Lord is with you. This reminds us of a story in the Old Testament in Judges about a man named Gideon. In fact, if you turn, why don't we turn over there to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Judges chapter 6. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, This is Gideon. Just appears. The Lord is what? The Lord is with you, 
O mighty man of valor. By the way, you want to encourage your sons in the Lord? Uh, your physical sons, tell them this. The Lord is with you. Listen, son, you mighty man of valor. That will, listen, that will speak, that will speak life into their being. I remember when I was a, a young boy, my mom would say that at different times. She would say, you're a mighty man of valor. There was, there was something about that. It was coming right from the scripture that would, that would speak into my spirit and build it up. And the Lord wants to build your spirit up this morning. If you're a, a man, he wants to say you're a mighty man of valor. If you're a woman here, he wants to say you're a mighty woman of valor, effective in the things of the Lord. And so here comes this angel and says to her, greetings, you favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at this saying. So here she is, 13, perhaps 14 years old, troubled at what this angel is saying and tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. What does this mean? What does it mean I'm favored of the Lord? What does it mean that the Lord is with me? What is this strange angelic being saying to me? So there was this supernatural appearance, but there was also a supernatural announcement. Verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary, you're a, a good young woman, but it's because of his grace, it's because of his favor on your life that I'm here. Mary, you can't, it's not about you being good. And then all these, listen, we have, we have holy saints who are like the real holy ones. They are the, the good people in this life. And because of their goodness, God comes down and says, you know what, I've been noticing your behavior. You're, you're pretty good. I'm going to go ahead and favor you and call you a saint. No, 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 that's not what God does. The Lord favors us by coming to us as sinners. He comes to us as sinners, listen, and he changes us from the inside, and he makes us saints. And so the, the, greatest, the greatest people in history, including Mary, they, they are favored by the Lord, they are they are graced by the Lord, and so he says, you are, you have found favor with God. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So she says here, the, the angel comes and says to her, Here's the name that you're going to give him. You're going to give him the name of Jesus. Now, of all the Old Testament figures in, in the Old Testament, the question is, who, who would the Savior be named after? And somebody might say, I know what I would name him. I'd name him Adam. He is, he is the second Adam. Another person might come along and say, I'd, I'd name him Abraham. No, he wasn't named Abraham. Perhaps Moses. No, he wasn't named Moses. The name here contains the word Yasu in the Hebrew, which means to save. He was actually named after the figure Joshua, the one who saves. So of all the figures in the Old Testament that Jesus could have been named, his name actually is Joshua. So here's what happens. Moses brings us up to the promised land. But the law cannot bring us into the promised land. The law shows us our sin. It shows us our need 
shows us our desperate need for a savior. But listen, the law is powerless to save. Do this, don't do that. We need the law to come into our lives, but the law itself does nothing to save us. So Moses didn't bring them into the promised land. Listen, who was it who brought them into the promised land? It was Joshua. And so of all the people of the Old Testament, this angel comes, angel Gabriel, and says, I'm going to tell you that his name, his name from God, is Jesus, Joshua, the one who saves, the one who will give his people rest, the one who will bring them into the promised land. So you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. So not only is he going to be born of woman, he's going to be born of God. He is God of very God. He is light of very light. He is the Son of God. We've talked about this, the fact that he is the eternal one. He is the one who has always existed. In fact, his name in Matthew chapter 1, if you flip over there, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son. Uh, this is being told to Joseph. And you shall call his name Jesus. So here again, very clear, you shall call his name Joshua, Yesu. For he will save his people from their sins. What, what is he going to save us from? He's not only going to uh, give us peace, and she gives us wonderful peace. He's not only going to provide for our physical needs, it provides for our needs. But the ultimate thing that this Savior is, that he's going to do is he's going to save his people from their sins. Now notice what it says, verse 22. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he is going to be both man. He is going to be in the flesh, fully in the flesh. There are people that say, was Jesus, did he have real flesh? Absolutely. Was he a real human being? Absolutely. He was 100% human being. But the scripture here teaches us that he is also 100% God. So he is the God-man. He is both God and man at the same time. Now notice in verse 33, he will be great. Verse 32 of Luke chapter 1, verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, who? His father David. So he is going to descend from the line of Joseph, even though Joseph is not going to be intimately involved here, he's not his physical father, he is his earthly father, and he is going to descend from this kingly line, from the line of David. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So the Lord comes to David and says, listen, David, I'm going to give you a kingdom, but the kingdom that I give you, is going to be a kingdom that never ends. How is that going to happen? Well, David blows it. We, we thank the Lord that David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And uh, we blow it. But David was, uh, David was a sinner. 
and uh, did all sorts of things that were not right. So you're wondering, okay, how is this kingdom going to last forever? David ends up dying. He ends up being buried in the ground. They get to Solomon. And Solomon is a wise man, the wisest of all men, except for one man. And yet Solomon lives a life, and he's buried in the ground. And yet there is this promise through you, David, you're going to have an everlasting kingdom, a kingdom that is never, ever going to end. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, we see this uh, promise in 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. The prophet Nathan has come to David, and in verse 12 he says this, When your days are fulfilled... Verse 12, 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body, I will establish his kingdom. Now notice what he says here in verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God comes and says through his servant, this angel, this messenger, he comes to this teenager, he shows up and he says, greetings, favored one, one who has been graced by the Lord. I have an announcement for you. You're going to have a baby. Now this is uh, big news because she's, first of all, she's a teenager. Second of all, she's engaged. And third of all, she's a virgin. So as wonderful as this news kind of sounds, it's also really freaking her out. Because she's thinking, how is this whole thing going to work? I can't believe I'm even standing here talking with an angel. But listen, everything that this angel is telling me rings true. And so as we even are listening to this story, we say this is, this is incredible. As one journalist said, it's so absurd it has to be true. There's, there's something as we are listening to this, we're saying, this is amazing. This is supernatural. This is not Thomas Jefferson cutting out and pasting different pieces of the Bible together. We're listening to this. We're listening about this eternal God. We're talking about this supernatural angel who comes. We're talking about this young teenager. We're talking about this announcement that ties the Savior of the world with all of history. And so this angel comes he finishes his announcement. There is going to be no end to his kingdom. He's going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. But then there's a supernatural response. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How is this going to happen? I've never known a man. Now, if somebody says that today, Say, they say, well, we're, they say, well, I'm pregnant. The automatic uh, response is, who's, who's the father? But if somebody says, I'm pregnant, and then they say there's no father, they say, well, wait a second, something's not right. You mean, you mean there was some kind of uh, medical procedure done? No, 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 there's just nothing. I was just, I was just there, and now I'm pregnant. Listen, that doesn't happen. But it did happen one time, and it happened in history. And this angel shows up, and she says, Mary, this young girl, you're going to be pregnant, 
and it's not going to come through your future husband. So she is sitting there thinking, and she asks the question, how can this be, since I'm a virgin, I've, I've never known, known a man, I've, I've never had uh, relations with, with any man. How's this going to happen? And the angel answers, this is, this is what is going to take place. Notice verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He's going to overshadow you. This is uh, reminiscent of Exodus. If you remember, the presence of the Lord would dwell in the tabernacle. If you go back to Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40, Exodus chapter 40. So the angel is beginning to describe how this is going to happen. How am I going to be pregnant? I've never known a man. And the angel Gabriel says to her, listen, God Almighty, God himself. So listen, he's sent from God. He's talking about the birth of a son. And he's also talking about this eternal son. And he's also talking here about this eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he says, Mary, here's, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. He is going to come upon you just like he has in the days of old. He's going to supernaturally come upon you, fill you with his presence. Now notice before we go any further, Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. So this is the glory cloud. This is the Shekinah presence of God. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the presence of the Lord fills the place. Listen, that's what we're after. We're after the presence of the Lord. We say, we say, come Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you that when the son went back to heaven, that the Holy Spirit has been sent, has been given to us, that we might exult in the very presence of God. Listen, this is supernatural. Worship to God. Why do, we, why do we sing praises to God? Why do, we, why do we get on our knees and pray because it's supernatural? Listen, this isn't just a story. As we're reading this, our hearts are going, that's true what's in the Bible. I, I agree with that. My heart is witnessing, bearing witness to the text of Scripture. Everything that is being said here is absolutely true. And so we, we worship in the Spirit. The Spirit comes. Listen, it's the Spirit who gives life. The Spirit who gives life. And so we listen to the Word of God. And Mary is taking in the word of God, and she's just contemplating, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin, and, and, and this angel Gabriel says to her, here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So in some mystical, incredible, supernatural, profound way, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Mary and birth within her this son who is both the son of man and also the son of God. Now notice what he says in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now notice Mary's supernatural response. 
She doesn't say, you know what? If this is all true, I don't, I don't really believe this. I need a sign. That's not what she says. She could have. If you remember Gideon in the Old Testament, he kept asking for a sign. Lord, will you make the fleece wet? Lord, will you make the fleece dry? So the angel says to her, nothing's impossible with God. He is so powerful that he can come upon you and give you a son, even though you've never known any man. And listen to her her response. This is a response that is birthed by the Lord. Only somebody who loves God can have this kind of response. And she says this, behold, I am the slave. That's the word there. It comes from the word doulos. Now, we, we tame that down in the, in the scriptures, and sometimes we'll say bondservant or servant. But what she is really saying is she's saying this, behold, I'm the slave of the Lord. She's saying anything that the Lord wants, anything that the Lord wants, he can have me. If this is, if this is his will, if this is what he wants, I am honored and I receive it. Uh, that might be something good for us to say even to the Lord right now. I am honored and I receive that. Can we say that to the Lord? I am honored and I receive it. Every time the Lord comes to us and begins to speak into our life, instead of having a resistant spirit, listen, Mary could have said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be a slave. I'm not going to be a servant of the Lord. Turn her back on God and, and say, no, no, God, that's not what I'm going to do. Mary says, Lord, your, your ways are higher than my ways. I'm, I'm your lowly slave. And another indicator of the fact that she was one who needed a savior. But Lord, if you have chosen me in this wonderful grace, Lord, I receive everything that you have for me. Lord, even if I don't understand, even if I don't comprehend all that's going on, Lord, I've, I've never seen this before. I don't understand what's going on here. This is, this is unique and this is strange. Lord, I receive it from your hand. Then she says this, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So she receives it. She says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, Jesus, come in and do whatever you want in my life. And listen, that, that posture, that posture is not just when we receive the Lord for the first time. We don't just receive the Lord and say, yes, Lord, come into my life. There is a continual, a constant posture of saying to the Lord, yes, Lord. Lord, I submit to your will. Lord, whatever it is, I know that you always want the good for me, always want the best for me. You love me. You're going to take care of me. So the posture that we have as Christians is, Lord, change me. Lord, I'm open to you. Lord, whatever it is that you want. Lord, I am your vessel. Lord, would you fill me? From beginning to end of this text, listen, this whole thing is supernatural. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that we don't have the Jefferson Bible here that we're reading from? But we're actually reading from the scripture. This is the truth from God. Listen to this. It could only be God who is eternal. It could only be God who is three in one. It could only be God who is life in himself. It could only be God who overcomes the darkness. It could only be God announced by angels. It could only be God to ordain such obscure beginnings, obscure people, obscure place, obscure birth. It could only be God to have such impact. It could only be, it could only be 
God. 